Hey there, it's Amy. Uh, before we jump into this episode, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to you, the listeners. I really love the opportunity to sit down with people and hear about their loved ones. And it makes me really happy that you're enjoying those stories too. Um, so thanks for letting me know. I have a request too. Uh, if you look on iTunes right now, there are a number of ratings, but there is only one review. It's titled, Well Done Podcasting, and it reads, Still reminds you that we focus on the wrong things in life. We should focus on life extension above all else. Well, uh, if you're listening, Maddie RW, I appreciate that you took the time to rate and review the podcast. And I'm also a little confused. Um, to me, when I hear about people's lives don't hear a desire to extend their life above all else. I do hear a longing for the person for sure, but for a quality of life and experience that's about much more than additional hours or days or even years. I think listening to people's stories, it's also clear how much life you can fit in to the time you have, even if it's not as much time as you'd like. So, um, I'd love to hear what other people think. Uh, if you feel inclined to write a review about what you think about the show or why you listen or what you've gotten out of the stories, I'd really love to hear it. Um, if you listen through Apple Podcasts and can leave a review there, that's awesome. If you want to shoot me an email at whodiedpodcast at gmail.com, that's cool too. Let's get on to this episode. Who died and how did they live? I remember so distinctly the day of his funeral. I don't know if this is a tradition for other groups, but in the Italian Catholic tradition, when you leave the funeral mass with the procession, you drive in front of the house one last time and they have a flower thing on the door which has a name but I can't remember what it is. And when we drove by, she turned to my sister and me and said, your father was right. He said the only way he was ever gonna leave Brooklyn was in a casket. And I was so mad at her for that, but it was the truth. Each episode of Who Died, we hear from someone about their dead loved one. This conversation is with Phyllis de Cristofero about her dad. His name was Filippo Iacono. He was born in 1908 in a little town called Montalegro in the province of Agrigento, Sicily. He came to the States, well, he came through Ellis Island at the age of five and I can't seem to find that family on the manifest, and I may have the wrong dates, or they may have come illegally. I have no idea. Um, but he, the first thing they do was, was move to the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and then he moved to Brooklyn, right across the street from my mother, where she grew up. And my father was a handsome man. He was a small man. I mean, he was a big man, but he was short, typical Italian short guy. And he had blue eyes, very light blue eyes, which Janet has now. I have the darker blue, but his were sky blue eyes. 
And in every picture, especially the black and white ones, they almost look like glass marbles. Phyllis refers to Jana throughout this episode. Jana is Phyllis's daughter. She also happens to be the host of the Dougie Center's Grief Out Loud podcast. Episodes of Who Died air on Grief Out Loud, so you might actually be hearing this through that channel. If you haven't heard Grief Out Loud, I highly recommend it. I also highly recommend listening to Phyllis talk about her dad. That's what this podcast is all about, after all. We hear about someone's loved one. Because that person mattered. Because that person continues to have an impact. Because it feels good and sad and important all at the same time. Just to listen and allow part of someone's story to be heard. But my mother was young, and my father was five years older than her. So they probably just met in the neighborhood. You know, we had the same friends or that type of thing. Mm -hmm. My parents eloped. My father being Sicilian, my mother being Neapolitan, it was a mixed marriage, and it was frowned upon by my mother's parents. So they were disowned by her family taken back later on, but disowned initially, because Sicilian men were thought to not work and beat their wives. My father was the furthest from that, which they learned and loved him dearly. As you'll hear, Phyllis's parents didn't have an easy go of things, but you can also hear the persistence. Phyllis talks about how her dad just kept going, kept moving forward, even if it was hard, even if he was in pain. When they married in 1930, that was the start of the Depression, and they moved into my grandfather's house. They lived upstairs, and he was very, they were very both very proud, and my mother tried to get a job with the phone company, and back then there was a lot of discrimination against Italians. You know, New York City was a land of immigrants, and each wave of immigration fought for that bottom rung on the ladder. So the first people here before the Italians were the Irish. And when the Italians showed up, the Irish said, oh no, you're not working in the fire department or the police department, we're gonna keep you out of these things. So my mother tried to get a job at the phone company and they he said, so you can't be an operator if you can't hear. So they held a watch across the room and they said, can you hear this ticking? And of course she couldn't. And they said, sorry, you don't qualify. And same thing with my father. He tried to get into various occupations and he was locked out. He couldn't get jobs. He did everything. He shoveled snow. He did all kinds of stuff. They finally applied for what was called back then home relief, which is modern day welfare. He didn't want to do it, but he had to. It was starving. So the man came to the house to interview them. And he said to my father, you don't qualify. And my father said, why? And he said, because you live in your father-in-law's house. My father got so angry, he chased the guy down the street and said, my father-in-law needs the money that we pay him in rent. Do you think I'm living here for free? Do you think I would do that? So he was very proud. Mm. And yeah, that time he stood up for himself. <laughs> when Phyllis was seven or eight years old, her father taught her a lesson about standing up for herself. The boy next door to me, Anthony, was in love with me when we were children, okay? And the way he showed his love was by beating me up. So he would 
punch me around and, you know, push me and whatever. And one day he came up behind me and bit me on the back through my snowsuit. That did it for my father. He took me in the basement. He hung up my rubber ducky from a rope. And he taught me how to box. And he showed me the one, too. And then he said to me, Anthony has a weak nose. He had a weak blood vessel. It bled all the time. He said, one, two, right to the nose the next time he approaches you. And I did. And he never hurt me again. One of the things I noticed listening to Phyllis's stories was how she shared a lot of her dad's interests. Baseball and music were two of the big ones. And I guess maybe that's fairly common for children to adopt their parents' interests. My dad was really into antiquing and true crime novels, uh, which I am not. But Phyllis and her dad seemed to both find their own joy in their shared hobbies. My father's bosses had a box at Ebbets Field in New York, in Brooklyn. We were big Brooklyn Dodger fans. He took me to the games. And I was young. I was probably 51 or 52, so I was probably six or seven years old. That was a very special thing for me. And one time he put me on a stool in the candy store that was down the street from, we lived on a street in Brooklyn that was half commercial and half residential. And the commercial parts had apartments above typical city street. There's a candy store there. And he put me up on the stool and he said, okay, tell all these people the lineup for the Dodgers. And I did first base, second base, third base. And he was so proud of that. (laughs) Um, Mm. The jazz whistle he played all the time. He played the harmonica. Mm. They played the spoons, him and his brothers, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, on your knee Mm -hmm. kind of thing. The one song that all of us sang, the four of us, harmony at family gatherings, was Hank Williams' Your Cheating Heart. Mm. He really liked that. We all liked that song, and it was easy to harmonize. In addition to inheriting the love of music, Phyllis also inherited a lot of photos. That was the other thing about him. He always wanted to have the new thing. So he, the reason I have all these pictures is because of the fact that he had a camera. This is him with me, and he built me this swing in the backyard. Our backyard in Brooklyn was the size of a postage stamp. But he got this heavy galvanized pipe, built me a swing with this heavy chain and a wooden chair. And I would sit out there and swing and sing at the top of my lungs. What do you miss most about your dad? Um, the music, I think, and the fun. We had a lot of fun. Um, I hate New Year's Eve. I always have hated New Year's Eve, except when I was a kid. Because it was a big family party. My grandmother and I were the new year and the old year. We waited till midnight because you couldn't eat meat. And then that bunyalaga came out and all the hams and everything else. There was a lot of singing and piano playing and dancing. And then after that, it just became anticlimactic for me. And then my sister was buried on New Year's Eve. So that kind of added to it. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, the, just the fun, the laughing and the good times, because that went away when he got older. As much as we miss someone and want to remember all the good stuff about them, 
Most people do not live lives that are just full of sunshine and rainbows. I appreciate that Phyllis could acknowledge the more complicated parts of her father's life too. I think my father became very bitter toward the end because I think he thought he had a lot of potential that wasn't realized. He was way more of an adventurer than my mother. My mother had um, emotional difficulties, anxiety and depression, which kept her from doing a lot of things, but also kept him from doing a lot of things because he had a chance to move us to Ohio, which thank God he didn't, but his job was gonna take him there. My mother said, absolutely not, can't go. And he wanted to move to Florida in the winter, and she said, absolutely not. Filippo's experience seemed to shape his desire for a different experience for his daughters. My father had a fourth grade education. My mother made it to eighth grade, that was it. But with his fourth grade education, he became a machinist. He read extensively, he didn't read books, but he read magazines and newspapers. He was a very bright man. And that was goes back to the bitterness part of him. I think he knew that he had native intelligence but that it was never realized because he couldn't go to school. There were nine people in his family. They were immigrants. My grandfather worked at the market. My grandmother did not work. So all the kids were out earning money at age five and six, shining shoes, and they had to bring the pay home to my grandmother. So he never made it past fourth grade, but he was adamant about his daughters. He never had sons. He was adamant about neither one of us ever depending on anybody another or man to support us. He wanted us to get government jobs, which we did. <laughs> well, I did. She worked for the phone company, my sister. But he wanted us to go as far as we could in school. For a, a Sicilian man, an immigrant, to feel that way about daughters, that's, that's not common. So it's, that's still amazing to me to this day, that he was so adamant about that. And I think that's probably why I became this you know, rabid feminist in the 60s, and because he wanted us to be independent mm. and not dependent on anybody for anything. And then while Phyllis was out getting that education, her father got really sick. When I was in college... He manufactured ulcers, and he had several ulcer operations. And the last one, they removed his stomach. And when they did that, they fed him the next day a liquid diet, and they didn't realize that one of the stitches that from the, the attachment of the esophagus to the small intestine popped. So everything he drank that day went into his thoracic cavity. And he had what was known as complications from surgery. He was in the hospital for a year, my sophomore year in college, I think. So every day we went to the hospital and spent all day, every day. And he lost a ton of weight and his cheeks were sunken. And they said that he would never gain any weight because he couldn't eat a lot, but he did. Phyllis felt like after her father's year in the hospital, he had a new lease on life, especially because he didn't have to stick to an ulcer diet anymore. Once they get rid of his stomach, 
He ate and drank everything. (laughs) (laughs) He loved what's called a cassada cake that they make in Italian bakeries in New York, and it's a rum layer cake that has chocolate and vanilla cream filling that you would find in cannolis. And then it has a buttercream frosting, and then the outer side is plastered with sliced almonds. It was fabulous. We had it for every holiday. He loved Italian food. He loved to make, he turned, he actually turned into the cook as they got older. I mean, my mother still cooked, but he loved to experiment with things. So he made what was called bunyalaga, which is a jelly roll with bread dough stuffed with sausage that his mother and my grandmother used to make every New Year's. But my father never believed in less is more. So he would load it up with everything besides the sausage. Loved to make hot peppers. Um, he really got into cooking. He made, perfected a fruitcake that was actually good, since most, most fruitcakes are horrible. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, and he liked to drink. Mm. He liked beer. He liked whiskey sours. He liked gin and tonics. And he had, which Jana was always horrified, in the morning, in his coffee, scotch. When he turned 80, my husband and I went, they had a house upstate New York, a little bungalow, and we lived in Connecticut at the time. So we drove over for his birthday because my sister was recovering from cancer surgery and she couldn't be there. And my husband's an avid golfer. My father never played golf in his life, but he was athletic, had a baseball swing. We took him golfing. And my husband teed up the ball everywhere for him because it's a lot easier to hit it off the tee than off the grass. He was pretty happy then because he hit the ball really well. (laughs) And we were, yay, applauding. And my mother was along for the ride. She was in the cart. And it was really a beautiful day because she had never seen me play golf because why would she? So that was, I think, a happy day for him, and he was 80. That was his birthday, and we had the cake and all of that. And then about six months later is when he got lymphoma, Mm -hmm. and he lasted another five or six months after that, so. Mm -hmm. If you've listened to other Who Died episodes, you know this one is a little bit different. Filippo didn't die young. He got to meet his grandchild. And yet this episode is similar. Phyllis is still a daughter who loves and misses her dad. And she still has feelings about his death. A lot of guilt around my father's death, which I have a lot of guilt around a lot of things. (laughs) um, We were in Vermont at a golf resort. And I felt really guilty being there but it was a big group of people that we did this every year. And my husband said, you gotta go, you know, you gotta go. Your father will be fine, he'll be fine. And I called him from there and I had a conversation with him. And um, I don't remember everything we said, but I think it was a good conversation. And then I called when we came back and I said to my parent, my mother, I said, should we come in? She said, no, no, you can wait till his birthday. 
September 25th. And we weren't that far away. We were three and a half hours in Connecticut. But we worked, and Jana was in school. And she said, no, you can wait until... And then he died September 21st. Mm -hmm. So she called on the 21st, yes, in the morning. And she said to me, they want me to... Um, pull the plug. And I said to her, he is suffering. Maybe it's time. And I said, what am I saying to this woman? You know, because I have this practical person. I have a lot more for compassion for strangers than I did for my own family. So we got in the car and rushed to Brooklyn. And when we went got to the floor of the ICU, I heard code blue, code blue. And my mother was outside. And they came out and said he had died. I hate my culture's relationship to death for many reasons. One of them is that when older people die, we're expected to just move on. Maybe we're sad for a bit, but they lived a good long life, which I get. I, I understand. I get that it's different to have someone die when they're 81 instead of 41 or 59 or even as a child. And Phyllis even said she wasn't as distraught because she got longer with her dad than she expected. But it doesn't mean we don't miss the person who had a long life. That person had so many stories and so much time to impact those around them. Creating the space to honor that life and that person and miss them just because they're not around anymore seems totally legitimate. What was the funeral or memorial like? Typical Italian funeral. Um, he was waked for way too long. It was probably four nights. So we don't bury on Sundays. So he was buried on a Monday. So Sunday, Saturday, uh, Friday. Yeah, probably Thursday was the first night. And by Sunday, the only people that were there were us. So it was kind of depressing in that respect. I mean, a lot of people showed up previous to that. Mm -hmm. And my friends from Connecticut came and they walked in. They're not Italian. And my friend Pam pulled me over and she says, I gotta talk to you about something. And I said, what? She said, you and Jana do not belong in this family. And I said, why? She said, you don't look anything like these people. Because. <laughs> My family was right out of the Sopranos, you know, as my husband calls them, low far, uh, no neck and low foreheads because they had so much hair. And um, but, you know, typical funerals for us or wakes was a lot of joking and laughing and loud talking. And every once in a while, you'll look toward the casket and say, oh, that's right. There's a dead body up there. <laughs> no. Why are we having so much fun? But you do. That's what human beings do. That's what human beings do. We keep going until we don't. And we cry and we laugh at wakes and we eat and we drink and we tell our stories. Filippo Iacono was born September 25th, 1908, and he died the 21st of September, 1989. Thanks for listening to Who Died. If you haven't already left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, it would be super awesome if you did. If you want to tell me about your dead person's life, you can reach me at whodiedpodcast at gmail.com. And a special thank you to the Dougie Center and to Jana DeCristofero for introducing me to her lovely mother.